Well, first, I'd like to uh, apologize for the last episode. The sound was in one ear when Scott was talking, and I know it was frustrating for me as well. I am an arborist trying to do a sound engineer's job, so some of those things slip through the cracks. This episode was a lot of fun to record. The Oregon White Oaks, one of my favorite trees, and so it was great talking about it. Like normal, thank you guys so much for listening, and without further ado, going to take care of some business and then get right to it. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional arboriculture advice and should never be relied upon to perform or direct arboricultural work. The Tree Thinking Podcast makes no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, or suitability of any information on this podcast and will not be liable for any damages arising from the use of any information in the practice of arboriculture or tree work. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The podcast and its hosts are not to be held responsible for misuse, cited, and or uns cited copies of the content within this podcast by others. The Tree Thinking Podcast may not be reproduced or distributed without the express written consent of the Tree Thinking Podcast. These trees were used as a food source by the Kalapuya people in the Willamette Valley. They were open-grown individual trees due to their fire land management practices. You can recognize them from a distance by the classic tree shape of their canopy in an open field, and up close by the iconic leaf shape and oak galls. On this episode of the Tree Thinking Podcast, we talk about a local legend whose native range extends from Southern California to British Columbia, and personally is one of my favorite trees, Corcus Gariana, the Oregon white oak. All right, we're back again. We've been trying out this uh, idea of doing individual trees, and we had so much fun doing the Doug fir that instantly we were like, we're, we're going to have to do another one of these. So this week we got another one, but before we get too far into that, I'm Andrew. Becca. Eric. And uh, yeah, so I'm stoked to be looking at uh, to this tree. Um, I guess, Becca, uh, you want to get us going on the Oregon White Oak? Sure, yeah. Um, they are definitely one of my personal favorites as well. I remember in my job interview for my current job that I have, uh, they asked what my favorite tree was because, like, that's just a great interview question, right, if you're working for a tree <laughs> care service. And um, that was my answer, of course, was Oregon White Oak. And he's like, well, good news. We're, we're going to cable at Oregon White Oak first thing tomorrow morning. So... We ended up not doing it, but <laughs> anyways, that's a story for another time. But they're <laughs> they're awesome trees, and the reason that they're my favorite, uh, or you know, it rotates, but um, they're one of my absolute favorites, is because of their, uh, you know, they're really culturally relevant for our, you know, the Willamette Valley, um, and I think they're also great for uh, wildlife. They're great. Habitat trees for a variety of species, gray squirrels, acorn woodpeckers, things like that, that only can survive because of the Oregon white oak. And then they also have a historical cultural context with the Kalapuya people. Um, so that is kind of an overview as to why they're my favorite. Um, but I guess we'll we'll dive into 
some uh, some ID. Yeah, yeah. Specifics. Yeah, I'm definitely down to get into the ID. I, you know, if you do tree work in the Pacific Northwest around here, I think so many arborists consider these one of their favorite because unlike a pin oak which just grab you and scratch you these are pretty smooth to work around and they're mm-hmm. just everywhere they're just easy to you know big open crotches to throw into and totally. just wonderful trees to work on um i guess yeah tree id how how do we identify uh oregon white oak when we come across one well, I would say, you know, certainly the, the really dark green leaf uh, that has the uh, characteristic rounded lobes yeah, uh, would be one of the most identifiable things. You know, we, <clears throat> we have a, quite a few oaks that will grow here in the Pacific Northwest, but this one looks very, uh, very unique. It, it doesn't have the pointed lobes like most of your, you know, pin oaks, scarlet oaks, uh, even the red oaks, uh, most of the other uh, non-native oaks that you would see here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, this one is... Uh, very dark green, almost a leathery leaf, uh, yeah. very thick, very coarse, uh, very resistant to evapotranspiration. Especially right? this time of year at the end of the summer. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's not uncommon to see uh, uh, sort of a waxy coating onto the leaf that actually would prevent any sort of uh, uh, evapotranspiration through the, the leaves. Um, that would be one of the, certainly one of the most identifiable things, but I would probably say it's uh, safe to say they're one of the, Easel, most easily identifiable trees, even without leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you, we've kind of mentioned it a little bit so far, uh, just this classic profile, this, this classic uh, silhouette. You know, you'll see them in, in the farmer's fields or you'll see them, uh, you know, in these oak woodlands. And you, they just, th- there's nothing else that really looks like that. And it's hard to describe on a podcast. You know, a picture's yeah. worth a thousand words, but if you've seen one, if you've Googled one, uh, it's hard to, to mistake for anything else. Oh, yeah. If you've driven down the, you know, down a country road in the Willamette Valley in you know, down where it's the farmlands, you've seen kind of look over and just see a standalone tree or maybe two or three trees. It seems like every field has one and it's just this classic, perfect shaped Oregon white oak. It's the kind of stuff mm-hmm. that inspires you to name your farm something like Lone Oak. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah, they almost kind of look like when they have leaves on them, they're like, not always, but typically they're just like perfect broccoli kind of. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, right. It makes me think of uh, the the like the Scottish word for trees, just crown. And I'm right. like, I always just immediately think of Oregon white oaks when I hear crown. I'm like, yeah, yeah. The the other thing that kind of stands out to me with the tree idea or the oaks is the bark. Yes, mm, you know, because yeah. it's got uh, it's really cool when you look at it it's there's a lot of different things going on because there's a lot of them have moss Mm kind of on the bark so you got the green you've got like a a darker gray and a real almost white color on them with this check you know the um, little check pattern of the bark going up it Mm -hmm. and because you get that moss you get a lot of little mushrooms and little epiphytes that uh, grow on those trees also oh yeah. yeah and of course usnia uh, Usnea longatissima, the, the lichen that, of course, drinks oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. from the branches. Um, uh, it's not like a mistletoe or anything like that, but it's just this beautiful lichen that can uh, sometimes hang down, I mean, even two feet if you're in an area where there's not a lot of wind, yeah. uh, you know, a really protected area. It can hang down a couple feet from the branches, and it's just really that nice kind of a, a minty green. It's, it's a really a cool look to mm. see those old trees that just have that 
hanging all over them. Uh, it kind of reminds me of some of the the southern uh, live oaks. Yeah, with yeah. the Spanish, Spanish moss. moss. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. It very much uh, is uh, reminiscent of those. I love that for sure. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. I'm like clenching my fist. <laughs> 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 well, and, and something that is also you know that kind of gives them that broccoli crown shape that you had mentioned before. They're mm-hmm. the taper of the branches. The branches tend to be very stout. And the, the, the way I would describe the, the trees are generally, especially if they're open grown, kind of squatty. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they, um, they have these thick branches that don't really taper out to the tips that well. I mean, the branches can be incredibly thick, even in the way up in the upper canopy, which is very different from some of the other oaks that grow here that uh, have kind of spindlier branches or, or yeah. you know, kind of more typical branches. That's one thing I would say about these, uh, these oaks. They're very kind of short and squatty. Yeah. yeah, if they're left to, left to their own, if you know, if they if they don't have a lot of competition from other trees around them, Absolutely. they're going to be very sh- very uh, short and squatty. And they are they're strong too. They're stocky, mm-hmm. and and they're just their their wood is really tough. Yep. Yeah. I have tied in to like an inch dead, like <laughs> yeah. like one di- dbh little nub of a thing and climbed to like 60 yeah. feet on accident and like thankfully i was backed up by like a huge beefy union that was like four feet down but i still like i climbed all the way to the top yep. and realized that's what i was tied into was like holy shit yeah <laughs> this mm-hmm. tree but Thanks, you buddy you got my back you can tie into some pretty small stuff up in the top of the canopy yeah. And then you can kind of get it swaying also and just fully trust it. Yep. Yeah. You know, I've I've had situations where, you know, I was trying to reach a branch and I'm kind of limb walked on another one and I get that branch swaying a little bit just to be able to reach over and grab that other branch, you know. So totally. there there's a lot of elasticity in the in the yeah. wood, you know, it really moves a lot. And uh an, another thing about it that I've I thought I've always thought is kind of cool is how adaptable they are from a mm-hmm. big open field, you know, we've been talking about this big, beautiful shape to when they're in the forest, they can almost look like a black oak. Yeah. You know, they'll kind of grow at a weird angle and just mm-hmm. kind of reach for the sun and, you know, their whole structure changes. You know, they really adapt to their circumstance, you know, yeah. that way. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot lately, a, a lot of jobs that we've been doing over the summer have been like Douglas fir removals to restore oak habitat, mm-hmm. yeah, which I'm sure is something that we'll talk about here soon. Oh yeah, but um, but you but just to touch on what you're saying here, Andrew, is that they they will absolutely it you know they're kind of people consider them to be slow growing trees because they are in a lot of ways they do you know they don't get very tall very fast but they taper up really well. Mm-hmm. And and like that's where they put all their <laughs> all their growth into like being just like tanks of trees, but they do tend to kind of trope themselves towards the sun. So you'll you'll notice that in areas where they're kind of be, being shaded out by Douglas firs. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. it's interesting because they're not always like perfect broccoli shapes. Sometimes they're just like ah oh, shit, like yeah, I need to go this way. <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna just adapt just fine. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, uh, Andrew, a minute ago, you mentioned the uh, the black oak. And so yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. So we're on the northernmost end of the range for Cali- uh, California black oak, Quercus uh, calogii. And so that's the other native oak that is here, right? Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> um, and they do they do overlap, which is interesting. And I, I would tell folks, if you're ever in the Eugene uh, Springfield area, one of the best places to see some of the largest California black oak that I've ever seen is actually Stewart Ponds. 
which okay. is kind of off of uh, West 11th, Bertelson area, West Eugene, Wetland oh, yeah, area. Yeah. yeah. And so, and this is a great place to go because you can see massive specimens of both trees. So the state champion uh, Kalagii is in that park. Wow. And it's, it's massive. I mean, the trunk on that thing has to be uh, at least six feet in diameter, if not Wow. It, it's got to be a 90 plus foot tall tree it's it's massive but there are just some huge oregon white oaks and so if you ever hear and wanting to see really the the difference in shape that is a just an ideal spot to go um because you're going to see some of the most outstanding specimens of both species just boom right there yeah yeah it's, it's outstanding yeah it, it's funny because the the black oak and the white oak when i was first starting i was always confusing the two of them yep <laughs> but once you learn the difference i mean it is night and day like I, I can't believe that I was once confusing them, right. but until you identify those, for, like you know, the shape of the leaf, the structure of how it wants to grow, all those little, you know, the texture of the bark, all that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason, in my mind, I was constantly mixing those ones up. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> easy to do, especially when they're, you know, in situations where they're not. A white oak, for instance, isn't able to fully get all the sun that it needs. It can kind yeah. of develop that blackout kind of body and do the do the reaching thing <laughs> but either way it's so it's interesting they're one of the fewer trees that i am familiar with that can lean so severely and i'm just like that's fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> oh, yeah. it's not going anywhere ever yeah yeah <laughs> people are always like is it especially after a storm is it coming down it's like no that's been like that yep. forever <laughs> like, you know no, man, it's yep. fine. There, if yeah. you're familiar with like a shade grown madrone it's very similar to that. Exactly. Very similar in habitat and very stable. Those those yeah. are both really stable uh, trees that, mm-hmm. yeah, that the lean is not a problem. It's more yeah. like a broccolini than a broccoli. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> a broccoliner. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, you went there. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not allowed. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny, though, because I had, uh, when I lived out in Vanita, I had a big, beautiful black oak in my backyard. Uh, and it, it was probably 60 feet tall. And just massive tree. And it had that classic white oak shape because it, you know, it had grown. It was the first one to grow up in that area. And there's a bunch of other little ones around it that kind of were all weird and off at angles. But Mm. so I guess they both can do both. You know, they both can be the broccolini or they (laughs) they both can be the broccoli. Yeah. Yeah. I always like to uh, the the way that their branch unions are They're They're almost always U-shaped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you know, we prefer that to the V shape for obvious reasons. But whenever they, you know, even when you have a co-dominant, mature Oregon white oak, and people are like, "I'm scared because one of the one of the leaves is leaning over my house," it's it's like still pretty, yeah, solid tree just because of the way that the union they're attached at the base. It's totally, cool I will. That they do I will that. say though, I my neighbor literally had their house pretty much split in half by a gigantic. Oregon white oak. So oh. the, the problem is, you know, it's it's incredibly dense and heavy wood, and when it comes down, it's that's true. It's heavy. It, I, it I, comes yeah. with force. It comes with force. Yeah. When they, it does happen, yeah. It was really unfortunate, um, but and yeah, apparently it was in the 2019 uh, ice storm that we had here. So I mean, that's a that's a hundred year storm where lots of healthy trees came down. I mean, they're not prone to failure by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. They're actually a very tough tree, very uh, structurally stable tree. But yeah, it it's heavy wood and it. Uh, did some damage. Yeah, you get like half a ton of snow on your body. Yep. Yeah, like, yeah. It, was, it was basically you know below the um, the the trunk bifurcated almost immediately right out of the ground, and just below the uh, bifurcation, it was probably 
four to five feet in diameter. I mean, it was a massive tree. Wow. Both of the, the Kodams were essentially gigantic trees. So, you know, yeah. uh, cabling would have helped it, but unfortunately. What are you going to do? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Too that's, late for uh, that now. That's so sad. Yeah. That's what happened with the ice storm and the snowstorm because these trees, you know, have there's so many big, beautiful. Oh, so if you take 126 out to the coast from here, there's a spot where there's these giant white oaks. You know, know what I'm talking about. By the White House. Yeah, right exactly. Right next to the White Farmhouse. And you just Jack- watch them forever while you're approaching. And those <laughs> used to be some of my favorite trees to look at in Oregon because it was just that perfect white oak shape and absolutely massive. They're huge. And this, the ice storm hit yeah. and just devastated them. I mean, uh, half the trees ripped out and it's just been like, I can't even imagine. Oh, it's just so sad. Somebody did clean them up, but they're... You know, as much as you can. That's the thing, you know. Their their wood is not incredibly decay resistant. That's part yeah. of the that's part of the problem. Uh, they're great, fully intact. I mean, talk about just a, a tough stalwart tree. But yeah, once they start to have, uh, you know, exposed wood, it just it, it decays so quickly. Are they pretty decent compartmentalizers though? For well, yeah, if you yeah. prune them in the right time of the year. Right. And, I mean, I know. I have to be honest. Um, I drive past one every day on my way home and I was so furious one day because I came by and somebody had removed the the lowest limb on this tree. It actually reached out across the entire road. It was massive. This branch must be probably 24 inches in diameter at least, if not 30 inches, huge, huge, like a tree itself. Uh, And somebody had removed the the branch. I came home one day and I just thought, oh, oh my goodness, this tree is not going to suffer this well. Yeah. Well, the tree was healthy. It's vigorous. The cut is enormous, and luckily, whoever did it did a wonderful job. I mean, if you're going to make a cut that big, you need to do it right. It's did, hard to make right. a cut that big. It's yeah. hard to make, yeah, because you're at some point your your chainsaw is going to want to veer either left or right, and it's just they really did a, a you know I couldn't have made a better cut. I'll yeah. be honest, but okay. I've watched that over the last two or three years. The rate that that's compartmentalizing is phenomenal. I mean, it's it's really? it's super cool. I, I wish I actually uh, had I known I would have. Uh, started a time lapse, a, a kind of a long term time lapse where I'd yeah. go by there once a month or something and just snap a photo of it just so you could watch it heal over. But I mean, it, it's amazing and it looks solid. And I don't, I, the, um, even on a mature tree, I think that, that the rate of compartmentalization, um, it's astounding, but I think it'll outpace decay. I mean, I don't, I don't see that tree having a lot of problems. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. I've seen white oaks do pretty good with compartmentalization so long as it's, so long as it's a proper cut. And, you know, everything's done right. But, man, that, that ice storm really did just wreck havoc. You know, mm-hmm. it's one of the one of the downsides, you know, up until we got those ice storms, because we hadn't had any storm like that up until then. And that was a big learning time for me, because I looked at white oaks as like these bulletproof trees. You know, they I've seen them go through all these wind storms and all these storms, and you know, they definitely had their defects and we're kind of going towards the pests and the defect <laughs> part of this talk before we're there would, you know, whatever, I'm good with it. <laughs> but, you know, all of a sudden the ice storm hit and it was like finding their kryptonite yeah. because it was, and I think what it was is there's all those little branches is just so much surface area for ice to attach to or for snow to catch on. And those big, beautiful branches that reach out are just like these perfect catcher mitts to just you know, hold weight. Well, and you think, you know, not only the, the rough texture of the branches, which is going to have a lot of surface area and a lot of yeah. surface, uh, surface tension, 
But also think about all the epiphytes that you see in a big mature oak. I mean, there there is so much going on in the canopy of those old oaks that's not actually yeah. oak. It's amazing. So yeah, yeah. The, and that stuff sometimes, you know, I think we tend to underestimate the weight of all the, wa- the, the, the all of the moss, the epiphytes, everything that's up there in the canopy. And and you know, they're certainly they are prone to mistletoe, right? So we have non-native uh, mistletoe here in the area, mm-hmm. and then sometimes that does certainly attack them. If you've been to Mount Pisco, you've you've certainly seen quite a bit of that. But you know that all that stuff. I mean, it it, it adds to the the amount of force that's being put on those branches, especially yeah. when you cover it with a you know quarter inch of ice or a I mean, yeah. when it's rain that turns to snow. You you know yeah. all that rain soaks into the yeah. It's that's no a good. lot of weight. Yep. Moss is heavy already. Yeah, moss is heavy when it's dry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. exactly. And some of those moss mats can be four or five inches thick on an oh, yeah. old oh, yeah. tree. It's With phenomenal. Licorice, licorice oh, yeah. fern growing out of it. Yeah, it's like fern gully. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Licorice fern gully. Yeah. 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 Speaking of Mount Pisgah, I think, if I'm not mistaken, that is one of the few oak savanna areas that are still protected or exist <laughs> yeah it's it's one of a few but one of very few i mean we're down yeah. to um less than one percent of the um oak savanna or, yeah. or oak habitat you know you have uh kind of multiple uh white oak habitats but yeah we're, we're down sure. to basically less than one percent of its original range is and, and back still in the, the uh, 1800s intact. for instance that was that was basically what most of the valley looked like uh correct yeah yes yeah. yep and even the foothills i mean i you know where i'm at in uh dexter which is really the the, the foothills of the cascade you know i've seen lithographs of lowell butte and it looks very much like mount pisgah it was almost entirely oaks mm-hmm. uh, and you look at that that butte now and it's almost entirely covered with fur so they you know that's that's kind yeah. of the the crux right there for oaks is that they're uh slow growing and they do without management they they do tend to be overshadowed by doug fur yeah and so that's exactly what happened uh so yeah we're 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 losing it through development but also just general uh kind of benign neglect yeah yeah uh, people yeah. aren't managing their oak woodlands well it you know it goes back to some of the episodes we just did on you know we were talking about the holiday farm fire and one of the things that comes up is the how it's irresponsible to let this fuel buildup happen you know, oh, absolutely. and it's the same things happening with the white oaks. We haven't had as, you know, the big fires in the valley, you know, uh, but I mean, kind of have because there's, you know, a lot of where those forests are were oak habitat at one point, mm-hmm. you know, and so the oaks are long gone. So you don't think of it as oak habitat, but that's, you know, how it was maintained for a long time. It's interesting, you know, when I think of trees that are fire dependent, um, like the lodgepole pine, right? Mm-hmm. It's really fire dependent basically for propagation, right? That's what opens the cones and releases the seed. I would say that Oregon white oak habitat is fire dependent, though right. the, the oaks themselves aren't. They don't need fire for propagation. They don't need it uh, really for their long-term success in, in terms other than just the fact that it would uh, kind of eliminate competition from things like dug fir, um, grand fir, you know, western red cedar, incense cedar, all these other... Uh, even big leaf maple, something that would right. grow much quicker, right, and uh, shade them out. So, yeah, and, and anymore it does, right? Yeah, yep. Because as you said earlier, mismanaged land. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, little fire burning seedlings is a lot better than giant fire burning. Yeah, two hundred exactly. foot 
Doug for Forrest. <laughs> well, and I think that'll be a, you know, I, I hope at least that that will be kind of our new understanding that we live with wildfire and that uh, fire is not a, a bad thing. And I'm hoping we can use it in a, a very proactive method. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, there are some really good uh, forest operations going on right now where they're using prescribed burns. Good. Yeah. And I, I hope we um, embrace that moving forward. Yeah. Well, I think what we're learning is we're going to live with fires either way. Right. What level do we want the fires yeah. to be at? Would you like uh, controllable kind of scheduled uh, predicted fires or do you like the explosive uh, you know, burn a half million acres. Yeah. Um, yeah. 800 AQI like yep. nightmares. Exactly. But. Yeah. Shout out to the Kalapuya for doing what was right the whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Introducing fire to the landscape. Yes. Yep. And managing it properly because that's how it was supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, and another, another shout out to him. Was they use the Oregon white oak as a food source? Yeah, the acorns. Mm. Yeah, you can make a meal out of. Yeah, it was a big food source, mm-hmm. and still is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we we were talking about it today. We we're like, <laughs> we need to we need to make some white oak meal. Yeah, make some white oak donuts. Okay, <laughs> yeah. big leaf maple glaze. Yeah, <laughs> how sweet would that be? Yeah. Oh man, that'd be so great. Yeah. If there was, <laughs> there's really no way to make uh, something like uh, uh, flour from Oregon white oak more unhealthy than to turn it into a donut. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if you like use it as a breading for a jalapeno popper, perhaps. Maybe. But I mean, that's that's about I the only know. way you could, you know. Yeah. I, I bet we could come up with some way to make it to just completely <laughs> bastardize it. Yeah. Like make a, let's make a Twinkie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Corn dogs. That's awful. <laughs> fried white oak Twinkies. Yeah, Jeez. white oak dogs. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. <Ugh>. Disgusting. <laughs> but yeah, they were. It's good, you know. And and they're important for squirrels too. Yeah, I mean, like obviously, squirrels and and acorns have had a thing. Most people know that, but specifically the western gray mm-hmm. squirrel. That's their. That's like what they eat. <laughs> and they're threatened or endangered. I can't remember. They are threatened. threatened. I don't believe they're endangered just yet, but I'll give it a month or two. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was really <laughs> pessimistic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they're threatened, and. Um, and yeah, they're they're great. They're big. They're bigger than most squirrels that you if you have not seen one before, like imagine like your neighbor's pug, but like with a big fish <laughs> tail. Yeah. <laughs> like they're badass squirrels. They're cool though. Yeah. We have one that lives in our dug fur that uh loves to taunt my two German shepherds through the window. And believe me, it knows exactly <laughs> what it's doing. I mean oh, it just yeah. it just sits out there, it just, oh, yeah. just knows that they can't get through that glass uh, window. So. Yeah. They're oh clever. yeah, they they're smart. They do the same thing to to little Rue. Oh, They'll just stand, sit right on the fence and <laughs> just going crazy. In their <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're great people, though. Yeah. You, we might have talked about it on, uh, we had an episode that got a little squirrely a little while back. <laughs> but uh, one of my favorite squirrel facts is that they don't remember where they bury their acorns. Yes, that's true. They just randomly bury them where they think a squirrel would bury an acorn. Mm-hmm. And so... They're constantly stealing each other's acorns because they're just like, oh, that looks like a good place to, maybe there's one right here, nice. and start digging. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of my strategy, too. I'm like, watch the other humans and just pretend like you're human. <laughs> <laughs> it works. It works great. It's nice. a good strategy. I should start doing that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You guys haven't been doing that this whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's up, 
up, bud? <laughs> Howdy. Howdy, friends. <laughs> um, and then how could we forget the acorn woodpecker, right? Oh. It's called an acorn woodpecker. Yeah. And it they uh, they do this cool thing where they, you know, woodpeckers make their little holes, but they will make them specifically, they'll put specifically Oregon white oak acorns, I believe. Fact check me, producers. Sorry. I'm pretty sure it's an Oregon white oak specific thing that they will, in, in the dead wood of the tree, if it's like, you know, yeah. a lead that still has... It's still on the tree, but it's totally dead. But it's like spongy enough yeah, to like take exactly. out acorn-sized chunks. Exactly, and they'll they'll pick them up and put them in there, and kind of it's like a food pantry for them. That's for, so cool. For later on, so and I yeah, and that's another species that I don't think they're threatened either, but but they're cool, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just the fact that this is the tree that they use for their food pantry and. Their food source. Yeah, food means. source for many critter, critters. Yeah, exactly. Oddly enough, uh, speaking of squirrels, you know, I think of uh, squirrel damage in trees, and Oregon white oak is not one that I see a tremendous amount of squirrel damage in. I, I think yeah. more of, um, you know, certainly I've seen it pretty rampant on, on pin oaks, scarlet oaks, red oaks. Mm. Uh, but I almost wonder if the, the amount of epiphytes, the moss, uh, and just generally having a, a thicker bark, I mean, you think of that kind of that chunky... Uh, checkered bark that you were talking about earlier, Andrew. Yeah, uh, it's it's a thicker bark, so yeah. I wonder if that's not as appealing. Uh, maybe the thinner, kind of juicier, uh, you know, bark where you don't have to chew through so much to get to the uh, that cambium layer. If that's that has something to do with it, I'm not really sure. It's a yeah for debate, I suppose. But um, yeah, I don't tend to see a lot of squirrel damage uh, in Oregon white oak. That's a good point. Yeah, I've. S- I've seen some. I wouldn't say it doesn't happen, but yeah. it's not like a big leaf maple or a dug fir where if there's the squirrels around, they're going branch. for it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I see it a lot in cedars and dug firs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exclusively. That's cool. It's interesting that they, you know, like that's their, it's like their grocery store, but not where they, yeah. they <laughs> go to fuck up branches. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Don't, don't mess with our food source. Yeah. Like, ah. <laughs> man i can't smash the windows in this grocery store <laughs> yeah you wonder how much of that is well you know a strategy they use mm. or if it's the bark or you know i mean if they if like something about the way they've evolved to teach their kids about where to go to chew on things it's like stay away from the ones that create food for us maybe it doesn't taste very good to them oh like yeah. the, the bark i mean yeah interesting yeah I tried to eat an acorn earlier this week. I'm not even kidding. I wish I was. <laughs> <laughs> but I spent a really long time, like, peeling the nut away and got to the seed. And my coworker's like, have a bite. And I'm like, whatever. I'll do it. Yeah. At this well, point. <laughs> yeah. Like, I spent all that time. And it was really bitter. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say. They're astringent. It was, like, tannin city over there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know. Probably makes a good meal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're starving, it probably works. Yeah. yeah. Or a squirrel, apparently, or an acorn woodpecker. A starving squirrel. <laughs> um. So I guess another history white oak thing that I learned from one of my favorite tree podcasts, completely arbitrary. Shout out. Shout out was that um, the 
Marcus Gariana was actually named by David Douglas. Mm-hmm. Really? Who we were talking about not too long ago. Curious. Yeah. 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 Of like yeah. the Douglas fur and the Douglas squirrel and all those other Douglas things that we love so much here in the PNW. Yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. And it was named after, well, named by David Douglas after... Nicholas Gary. Nicholas, Nicholas Gary. Gary. I was yeah. going to call him Nicholas Gariana, and I'm like, that's not right. He was a, a big wig in the Hudson Bay uh, company. Right. Yep. And Hudson Bay was, did they do something with timber? Uh, well, that fur was, trader. Yeah, that oh, was essentially the, the yep. kind of the largest outpost. That's F-U-R, not F-I-R for those <laughs> mm-hmm. with no contact. Yeah, yep. fuzzy yep. furs, yeah. not tall furs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The, yeah, it seems like the Hudson Bay Company, uh, you know, I think of that, of course, in the Great Lakes uh, area, but they, they had agents all over the Northwest, all over, the, mm. you know, that was, they were kind of like the, um, kind of the original monopoly or the kind of the original, yeah. uh, you know, corporation. The, the just pioneers a massive, of capitalism. Uh, yeah, really, yeah, massive <laughs> uh, complex for sure. Totally. They, they, I'm sure they built a lot of the infrastructure in the Pacific Northwest back in the day to get that fur back back to the people that wanted to buy it. <laughs> yeah. You know, the way the way capitalism works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder I wonder what like what inspired him to name it after, you know. I mean, they must have been he maybe got a nice coat from him. Yeah, that's what maybe I'm wondering. Comrades. If there was yeah. yeah, some like if they were just buddies or if it was like, hey, if you'll fund my expedition to go check out stuff in Hawaii. You know what? I wanna, <laughs> I'm imagining like David Douglas is like in the depths of, and this, and I believe that this Nicholas Gary character was a Canadian fellow. And did, I, I could be wrong about that. Fact check me producers, but um, well, uh, maybe he was kind of like in the snowy part of the, you know, and he saw this tree and was just like freezing cold and had this fur coat. Yeah, was like, he ah. was in Winnipeg. Winnipeg. So, yep, he was. There we go. Thank you, producers. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> in Canada. Yeah, so maybe he was up there in good old Winnipeg and saw, you know, saw this tree while he was just chilled to the bone and had his little fur from his friend, Nicholas. Yeah, I'm 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 just making this up. This is fan fiction at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like it though. I like it. <laughs> David Douglas fan fiction. You know, we're we're on here supposed to be teaching people about it, and we're. I wonder why that happened. Yeah, I don't know why no, did that happen. It's <laughs> not for informational purposes. Yeah, it's not for informational purposes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, listen to that part at the beginning that tells you not to listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but still interesting. Yeah, you know? no, it's it's very interesting. It it's uh, I'm curious on why why David Douglas is going and naming, but he's he I can only imagine that it was to try to get money to go on another adventure. Maybe probably. You know, I that's what I figure. He had to he had to get his Patreon uh, stoked on. Hey, I'm gonna <laughs> go and find some new trees, and uh, you know what? <laughs> I'll name one of them after you. That's probably what it was. Yeah. Well, thanks anyways, Mr. Gary. Yeah. And Mr. Douglas, I guess, too. Thanks Yeah. giving us a name, something to call them that we use now. Can you guys think of any more uh, historic facts about the Oregon White Oak? Yeah, uh, I think we, we covered our bases with... Uh, I think so. Mostly. Oh, you know, something that I did learn while I was uh, pr- doing some preliminary research for this... Was um 
it's a it this is a reason for me to not like scotch broom people are always like i hate scotch broom it's like super stupid and invasive and i'm like well but it's like it's good for pollinators right it's like got a nice little flower yeah but apparently they compete with oak seedlings and uh, the Himalayan blackberries. They well. outcompete the oak totally. seedlings. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like in a bad way. Yeah. Because they just suck all the water out of the ground. Those selfish Fucking fucks. scotch broom. God damn it. When I uh, first moved here, I, you know, was just enamored with all the amazing plants that we have here in the Northwest. But I uh, didn't realize scotch broom was invasive, so I... <clears throat> dug one up and brought it home <laughs> 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 in the landscape in my front yard and we were renters at the time and i remember the landlord came over and he just said get that out of there right now oh, like, yeah. right now at least he had the yep. common sense yep. yeah. my last landlord was like how about a little bit of bamboo yeah <laughs> for your right next to your door oh the next thing i knew there was bamboo like <laughs> shifting in, the, in the living room yeah. yeah basically it was great but but yeah, I I never same same here. I'm I always you know I'm from the East Coast. I associated Scotch broom with goldenrod. Right. And I was just like, right. well, that's that's basically the same thing. What's wrong with it? Like, not everything that's invasive is bad. But now I'm like, fuck you, Scotch broom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember taking a photo when I first got here. I was at Mount Pisgah and I took this, you know, great uh, sunset photo. It, it you know it was on Mount Pisgah and kind of facing into the valley, and you could just see all the scotch broom and I didn't realize what it was at the time and I just I, I thought oh man there's this beautiful you know whatever this shrub is with this awesome yellow flower just everywhere in this beautiful sunset and then I <laughs> I, I come across that photo every once in a while and I'm just course. going oh just that wretched scotch broom. <laughs> yeah. it's funny you know it's just uh it, it was beautiful at the time but then you once you realize what it is it's it's a weed oh, yeah. you know it's just obnoxious I was just like so many of my ex-boyfriends <laughs> <laughs> looking at pictures of your ex-boyfriend ah, god damn it <laughs> White Oaks germinate. <laughs> I guess it's time to shift from history to pests, to yes. fungi, mm-hmm. to things that attack the Oregon white oak. So, yeah, I think of the kind of the weak spot. Um, they, you know, we're, we're planting a lot of them as street trees, and I think that's great. Um, again, you talk about, uh, you know, a good native tree in an urban landscape. That's it. Slow growing, uh, easy to maintain, solid tree. But the one thing that I do worry about, and I think this will be, you know, kind of remains to be seen, but once you start messing with the roots, Armillaria astoyae, it is a killer for Oregon white oaks. And uh, I have, I've responded to so many that have fallen over. And once you start to look around, you think, oh, okay, there's a, there's a utility trench that was in the root zone or there was a, a sidewalk repair, right? Yeah. So, we, so somebody cut some roots in a sidewalk repair uh, or a curb or gutter repair, things like that, whatever. You know, utility work in the, in the CRZ of a, an Oregon white oak is not good, and you've got to really pay attention because the problem is your roots essentially decay, and it, for whatever reason, just because of that kind of thick, waxy leaf, you don't see the crown decline in a lot of cases – like you would in, in other trees. Yeah, right? I've, uh, I've yeah. seen a lot of them. That same thing, beautiful. And by the way, CRZ's critical oh, root zone, right? Oh, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. Critical yep, root yep. zone. I've seen a, a bunch of really big, beautiful trees in parking lots. Yep. Because they want to save the big, beautiful white oak and put yep. a parking lot around it. And Oakmont that, Center, or oh, sorry, Oakway Center, rather. Yeah, River yeah. Road Park had, had a few that we had to clean up at different points. So sad. Yep. Because it's good intention. 
It's like, right. hey, I love this tree. We're going to do our best to keep love it. Love it to death. Love it to death. Uh, Let's irrigate it. Because, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Look at that dry... Dry root zone that this this Oregon white oak has. Let's let's irrigate it, and let's, it's like I mean, let's irrigate you know, it and bury it in bark and mulch. Yeah, they, yeah. it's gonna love if, that. If you take a mature Oregon white oak, <laughs> yeah, uh, it basically will just die at the sight of you walking towards it with a oh. with a watering hose. I yeah. mean, they, they do not like that. You don't want to change the hydrology of no. the soil whatsoever. So they, you know, they are sensitive. Their their roots, you know, that's a that's a pretty. It's the crux or the kind of the kryptonite for an Oregon white oak is really just uh, getting into that root zone and you're not going to notice it. It takes a couple years to set in. So you don't, a lot of times people, people don't even link the two incidents, right? You do some utility work in the root zone. Mm. Five years later, the tree just falls over and it, it was a bright sunny day. The birds were chirping and then all of a sudden just, but yeah. it just, it's on its side. And that's, that's kind of a scary thing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, um, it just seems so benign at the time that it happens. You're not yeah. considering the history of the site and the, Geology yeah. changes and the compaction of the soil and the root cutting that might have happened and all that. Yep. Well, and white oaks are thought of as these bulletproof trees, mm-hmm. you know, just these total tree, you know, these total uh, native trees that just can handle whatever you throw at them here. Yeah. But that's not the case with the root system. Nope. You know, you can prune them pretty, you know, you don't want to top them or get crazy, but you know, you can prune them and they'll be fine. They can, you know, handle wind, they can handle all this stuff. You don't have to do that much to the root system to really freak that tree out. No, and I've I've responded to a bunch of them that have fallen, and once that armillaria sets in and that that decay really happens in the root zone, man, you get in there and you you kind of feel the roots, you feel the the spot where the tree kind of snapped off, and it it basically feels like um well you know a lot of times it happens in the winter time here, so it's pretty well saturated, but I mean it just feels like like kind of like really firm toothpaste almost. Oh, I mean, yeah. you, know, you can almost just like scoop it out. You're just like, holy crap, how was yeah. this tree? How did it stand as long as it could, you know? Or it's like sloppy nerf, nerf oh. material or just something that you can just kind of, yeah, it's not good. You, you know, you yeah. can wring it out like a sponge, like a wet sponge. Yeah, it's it weird. Just, it holds water like a sponge. Yeah. It totally does. Yep. So how, how do you... How do you know that it has that until it's too late? Is is there like a fruiting body that you can see, or is it all underground, just sneakily fucking this whole tree up? Well, you know, some um, you you can get a fruiting body, yeah, and, and but it's usually too late at I've that seen, point. I know of our malaria, like at, on like Ilanthus, that's like yeah, really well, obvious. And yeah. you're like, oh my god, and our malaria is, is present in the soil in most places, right? right? That's yeah. right, right. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty widespread, you know, certainly here in the Northwest, but, uh, and certainly different species, but, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I have to be honest. Um, I don't really know what the good warning signs are. Mm. Uh, and that's kind of the, kinda you know, what the one downfall saying, of the yeah. tree. It's, I think uh, you look for uh, disturbed soil around the root system. You know, if someone's been trenching or, uh, sprinklers in, then you got to keep an eye out for fruiting bodies. Now, do the fruit and bodies come off the roots in the yard? Uh, so they could. I yeah, I kind of remember seeing see that on the lower end of the trunk. Too. Yeah, and then I've I've definitely seen big ones at the base of the trunk, and yep. and this is the time of year where they're really starting to shine, right? When you get mm. the water starting mm-hmm. to feed them at the end of the summer. Yep. Yep. So could the tree have it and not fruit? Like you don't get any fruit well, bodies. You know that. I assume, yeah, that's probably possible. But the other thing too, I mean, it's just such a short window of time. If you're not looking for it, yeah, you know, yeah. most of the year you're not going to see any signs. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing. So you you know, if you're not if you're not paying attention as a homeowner to your trees, you know, an arborist obviously can't be everywhere all the time. 
um, I think a lot of times it just unfortunately just goes unnoticed. Yeah. But yeah, it is really tough to see. Now, now I have seen, you know, crown decline and that, that is a good indication. And if you're seeing that, if you're seeing any sort of mushrooms around the base, or if you are noticing decline in the canopy, you know, you do want to get somebody out. And, you know, a lot of times what we've done to investigate is just, um, you know, do some crown exploration or uh, uh, root crown uh, exploration and just see, you know, if there's any sort of mycelium or anything that would be an indication that, you know, maybe wood decay is present. And of course you can get in there and we've even done things like, um, so good example, uh, in Eugene a few years ago, we had, uh, we were alerted to, uh, an Oregon white oak that had fallen over and it was, this area was, uh, there's no sidewalks, uh, kind of a windy road up by Hendricks park. And so the, the right of way was really wide there. It's probably like a 50 foot wide right of way. And so this, this one oak had fallen and there were, uh, kind of just closer to the house, but not, not super close to this tree. There was another small grove of white oak, really nice, but it, you know, they did, some of them did lean towards the house. And of course these folks were, were nervous. So we went up and investigated and we actually did do uh, a little bit of resistograph work on those roots just to see. But really um, once we kind of looked at the entire setting, there was, if you noticed about halfway down the block, there was a, a little post that said fiber optics line. Oh. And oh, son of a gun! Yeah. And we got in there, and we started digging, and you kind of just drew the drew that invisible line back to the the spot that we were at, and we did a little bit of trenching, and sure enough, the oak that had fallen had a bunch of cut roots, oh. and and our malaria was just rampant in the the you know the remaining roots, and of course the the root crown, the the base of the tree, it just wasn't stable anymore. But it had not spread at all into these other trees, even though I'm a hundred percent positive that it was endophytic in the soil. These other trees had just not had their roots disturbed. And so it's not a problem. So then if you're, if you're looking at a Oregon white Oak, you see where a driveway or sidewalk or fiber rock, whatever, you've seen some damage to the roots. I'm thinking the best thing you can do if you're not sure, because I don't think it's guaranteed. Uh, no, but I think you probably want to get an air spade yeah. and maybe start air spading some patterns around the root system just randomly, mm-hmm. some kind of grid to say, okay, roots are good here, roots are good here. Don't use a pressure washer. Yeah, Please. don't oh, use a pressure yeah. <laughs> Would you hire the arborist off Craigslist? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm trying to think other ways you could, you know, if someone's listening to this and wants a takeaway on what they can do if they see that, maybe... A root probe. Yep. You know, you could probe around mm-hmm. the base of the tree and just do a lot of probe, follow a big buttress root and see how if you can't follow that root out. Or, or the lack of. That would be the yeah. other thing too. If you're if you're yeah. probing around, you know, you know that you should be hitting some roots, right? We want some roots to be there, obviously for stability. So if you if you if there's a lack of roots, you know, where where a trenching has occurred or some sort of you know, disturbance in the root zone has yeah. occurred. You you know, if you don't feel roots, that's when you probably want to get the air spade out, or at least get a very carefully with a trowel or shovel or something. Get or in if there they if they if the roots feel kind of spongy, spongy. when you're probing, or yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Okay. But the air spade's a, a solid. Yeah. You know, you just real uh, mm-hmm. considering if it's not incredibly mucky soil, that's a good way to go. We were talking about this with uh, Scott Baker last week. I think kind of. The future of our industry is understanding the root system. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a big thing. You know, because so much of what we know about trees are what we can see and touch and observe, obviously, is what we're going to know. But half that organism is under the ground. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and it's such an important half of the organism, you it's know. Like the thing <laughs> yeah. that makes it what it is. Totally. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of with humans, like the the future of human health, a lot of people say, is understanding the gut biome. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing. Like, you know, we know what we can see and how we move and the bone that breaks, but the gut biome, the stuff we haven't really fully understood is kind of, there's a lot there. Same thing with the roots. Yeah. A healthy gut biome, though, doesn't look as good as a six-pack. Yeah. That's, why, that's why we don't care. And, and yeah. for the record, I do not have a six-pack. Yeah. I'm just saying. But you have a healthy gut biome. He's got like a four-pack and a healthy gut yeah. biome. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it's so true. And then the way that the root system interacts with everything else. There's so much. I remember like doing, like studying for my ISA certification and just like being like chapter three of the handbook is like soil biology and like oh that was a nightmare for me oh my god I'm just like i'm too dumb to be an arborist but really <laughs> it's, it's super important to know that stuff and oh like, yeah even though at first and at second and at third and fourth it went right over my head eventually i was like ah this is yes this, this is, is where why it's i at. need to know it and yeah. it wasn't until there was a real life application to use that knowledge that i realized oh shit there's like it's just like you were saying, Andrew, half, if not more of the tree is underground. You can't really see it and you don't, it's so much more, I don't know, it's challenging to understand if you're not thinking that way. Totally. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's cool. So this is an interesting thing with this fun- fungi because mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize that it was so underground. Mm-hmm. I've only ever seen fruiting bodies of armillaria. Mm-hmm. Like in trunks of trees that were obviously fucking dead. You know what yeah. I mean? I've never, I didn't even think that it could well, do that. You know, armillaria, and you'll have to excuse me. I don't, I, I can't recall the species off the top of my head, but they've, they've determined that armillaria is essentially the largest living organism, right? There's a, there's a, a an underground network of oh, uh, yeah. mycelia in Eastern Oregon that, that actually is, you know, the largest living organism that we know of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's so crazy. So yeah. I, I've not seen it and I don't, you know, obviously can't speak very intelligently about it, but I do know it exists, and that that's an interesting thing. I mean, like I said, it, it's present in most uh, healthy soil, yeah. I would say. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and well, the more that we know about, um, you know, like mycorrhizae and things like that, the more it's like... I was. It's funny because I was about to say I thought Pando was the largest living organism. Used well, it was. It used to be. It's funny because Pando is just a giant network of. <laughs> it's Clonal basically the same trees. thing, but you can see it above ground. Yeah. Right. right. So, and it's uh-huh. probably a little bit smaller than what you're referring to, but it's the thing that connects those trees is like the underground part mm-hmm. and partially most of that I would argue is due to the mycorrhizae and their, you know, root connections and things like that. So, yeah, one, well, I think that's where the future of understanding roots goes also yeah. is ha- the interaction between the roots and the mycelium network and how they're transferring resources and sending messages and this is just extremely fascinating stuff that i i know we're going to do more episodes on because there's just no end to that information for those of you who maybe don't know pando is a it's like a forest basically of uh aspen trees in colorado i believe i think so is it utah okay Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just, it's one living organism, but it looks like a whole forest of aspen trees. Okay. That's and they, they are, uh, clonally, clonally identical. So, yeah. so it's um, one it organism. It is one organism. So essentially it's a, it's this huge, 
network of, of uh, root sprouts or water sprouts or suckers or whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, as the as the the roots tend to go out, they send up shoots. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty amazing. That's that's one it's of incredible. the you know that so is the miracle of life. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we think about giant organisms with trees like these. General you know, Sherman, exactly yeah. the sequoias and these redwoods and Doug firs, right. but there's this aspen that's like, you guys are pretty cool, but check out what I did, yeah. and it's yeah. just from these root sprouts, <laughs> it's like right. you know, eight million of me, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <Yep. laughs> you know, I am an army, acres, acres. <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah. Suck it, General Sherman. <laughs> <laughs> You're not even a real general. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the miracle of life, can I talk about a not pest, but it could be perceived as pest that uh, infects, but doesn't actually infect? Are, are you talking about the oak screwed? I'm going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to talk about Dragon Balls. <laughs> those those uh, scrotums that you see all over the oak trees. <laughs> They're yeah. all over them. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone listening has ever seen... The show Dragon Ball Z, you'll know that that was a Dragon Ball Z reference. But there are, okay, so they're on Oregon White Oaks mostly. It, I think I've seen them on other oaks as well, but they really like Oregon White Oaks. Um, there are these, like, just from, like, your pointer finger to your thumb is as big as I've ever seen one. If you just make, like, a like a A-OK sign with your hand. Like a like little ping pong balls. Yeah, ping pong. Thank you, Andrew. Gosh, this is why you're here. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's about all I got. So. Some, can, some can be bigger. Yeah. I'm yeah. just saying. Yeah, I've just seen, saying. Yeah, I've seen bigger. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, about ping pong ball size to smaller to maybe bigger if you're Eric. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There are these balls, and they grow on the underside of the Oregon white oak leaf. And I say grow because the it's <laughs> they're made in part by a gall wasp, which will lay its eggs into the underside of the Oregon white oak leaf. And then the Oregon white oak does the other part of the making by reacting to the larvae being inserted into its leaf by making this, it's almost like a zit. I don't really know how to describe this. It's like a phenomenon. So it, it like it's the reaction to this larvae being. It's like the leaf is impregnated. It, almost it secretes chemicals yes. into the leaf. Thank you. You said it so smartly. Because and I have something to read off oh, of here well, that interferes with the orcs <laughs> with the oaks <laughs> normal <laughs> with the orcs normal <laughs> hormones. Yes. So, so together they <laughs> hormonally create these nads, which are beautiful, and they're like yellow with these orange freckles all over them. They're absolutely gorgeous. And the cool thing about these is that the gall wasp, like they, they, it's like their little womb. Yeah, it creates like a safe place, yeah. and it produces food for the larva so inside. They eat in there and like incubate and then they eventually eat their way out and are like okay i'm gonna go be a wasp and fuck some shit up because i'm a wasp but i just think that's so cool yeah i'm gonna fuck some shit up because i'm a wasp and then i'm gonna go impregnate a leaf yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go and they commonly come in doubles they do yeah (laughs) i saw a triplet today i'm gonna show you a picture Ooh, hey now 
Dang. I like that. <laughs> I, I found so many. I actually uh, climbed an Oregon white oak today, so I'm glad that this is a conversation. But look at all these. Look at all these galls. You guys can't see it, but look at all these galls I found. Dang. Arner. There's a good dozen galls there. I know. Yeah. Good golly. Like. Check oh wow! I know. Wow. Then that's just nice. that might I be was... a baker's dozen of wasps right there. <laughs> <In my That's> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously not all of them live here, the triplets, but um, yeah. Wow. They're it's it's just pretty incredible. And so most people would ask after hearing a story like that, are they parasites? To which I would say technically yes, but not in the sense of how you're thinking of parasites. Like tapeworms can hurt you. Right? Yeah. But the gall wasp does not hurt the oak tree. Like, in no way is the oak hurt by having to produce these weird, like, wasp pimple food embryo things for this weird bug. Symbiotic, it doesn't hurt it. Almost. It's symbiotic, but it, like, the, the, the oak, oak doesn't, doesn't really gain anything. anything. So it's, like, no. called commensalism. And I, I did hear it can, in, like, a heavy infestation, it can stress the tree. So it won't kill it. And I mean, that was just my Google research. So that would make sense. You know, it, but I would imagine it'd have to be a pretty heavy infestation. Yeah. Well, and it's on the leaf, right? The leaf's going to be shed. Yeah. Seasonally anyway, right? So you would think that, uh, so I could see it stressing it. it. So it's usually in the late summer, early fall that you see these. Mm hmm. Like right now. <laughs> yep. And it it's probably situational. A, a big tree out in the middle of the field is probably getting so much sun, it's not an issue. That's if it's true. like an understory tree fighting for every bit of sunlight, then a heavy infestation might stress. Absolutely. Stress even, it. even moss can do that. You know, it can. Totally. It adds weight, which makes it more prone dam- to storm damage, but it also can yeah. shade out buds. You know, it's not generally moss is not a problem but in really extreme cases it absolutely can be yeah yep. and and same here with this situation maybe there's so many galls on one leaf that the leaf is just like oh shit and it falls off prematurely and then it doesn't get that there's that much less photosynthesizing going on for the rest of the summer yeah one so. leaf less one leaf less <laughs> <laughs> big bummer but yeah i uh i love absolutely love that story and uh i'm I think that's just so cool, like, that there's this bug that just uses the tree in that way. Well, you got it on your arm. I do. I do have a little tattoo of uh, or some Oregon white oak leaves with some galls on them. And I love, uh, I was actually at the store the other day, and the cashier was like, what are those? I've seen them around. Uh, and I just, lo- I relish in the opportunity to explain to them that it's like <laughs> a bug thing, you yeah. know? It's a gall. It's gall a, wasp. It's a gall. You got to be cool to know about it. Yeah, gall wasp. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. Life's yeah. a gall. They're not the only gulls I've got. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's super neat. Well, and uh, you know, and and if you're a little kid, it's like just you know. Oh, how many of those are do you smash and like yeah. stomp on and you oh, know? If you open one up for the very first time because you're a curious person, yeah, just, it, it's crazy in there. It looks oh yeah, like, yeah. It's like all, all the like, fibers yeah, and it's yeah, really fibrous and it's it's like pointing. It's to like the a center. lime, yeah, like a lime or something with yeah. all the. Yeah, well, and I mean, it's not co- what I was expecting. No, it's cool to see a creature that is altering its environment. You know, to help survival. Yeah. You know, and uh, I don't know. But it's almost like the wasp in some, like, context. I don't know. This is going to sound really woo. But it was like, hey, man, is it cool if I, like, use your 
yeah. underside of your thing to do my thing. And the oak leaf was just like, yeah. Yeah, right here. Yeah, man. Just I wasn't using that for anything. It's just <laughs> the underside, yeah. you know? Man. It's cool. It just worked it, out great that way. Yeah. If you ever happened upon an Oregon white oak that's just like very heavily impregnated with gall wasp balls and just look up, it's, I don't know. I, I just, I find it to be super, super enchanting and fun and quirky. Oh, yeah. Tree canopies are, are full of life. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So to kind of carry on with the paras, well, this is more of a parasite than the gall wasp, but <laughs> the mistletoe. Oh, yeah. Ah, yeah. That's, that's another thing where, you know, a lot of birds eat mistletoe and, uh, you know, it has its purpose, but man, will it mess up a beautiful oak tree. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Like I said, Mount Mount Pisgah, which is certainly known for being, uh, you know, outstanding white oak habitat. You'll see it; it's it's rampant at Mount Pisgah. Some pretty big, massive, massive mistletoe up in the crown of those trees. I think of, uh, you know, m- most folks that will hear this haven't been there, but uh, especially there's a there's a notable uh, big white oak there right next to the old barn, uh, kind of down by the river there, and it's just yeah, massive ones, and uh, the crown is just completely infested yeah really too bad so i'm i'm one of those people that like i know mistletoe is bad now yeah but you know growing up you're like you kiss under the mistletoe yeah, christmas, christmas <laughs> and like yay and i'm like everyone's like oh look there's mistletoe in that tree i'm like cute they're yeah. like no, no. <laughs> that's bad can you explain to m- myself and maybe some other people who are unaware like myself as to why we don't want mistletoe in oak trees or anywhere really, except for maybe over the fireplace and it's December 25th. Uh, so, I mean, the, the, one of the first things that I think of, uh, of course, is that it, it does uh, kind of get into the vascular system of those branches. So it can, it can cut off uh, water flow, you know, to the kind of the distal end of those uh, big patches of mistletoe. But, you know, of course the other big thing too, is it adds a tremendous amount of weight to those branches, which is also not yeah. good. And it just does, I mean, it spreads. So, you, you know, you, you've got it, you see it. It's like a little, little couple little strands of mistletoe. And then the next thing you know, I mean, it is just. So when it gets into it, because, I mean, I know I've worked on tons of trees that are messed up by it, right? But does it get kind of into under the cambium layer and separate that cambium layer? Is that how it cuts off the, the cambium flow and everything and kind of kills the part above it? Uh, yeah, I mean, essentially, it's gonna, um, you know, it kind of get it gets in there and, and manifests on those branches. Yeah, and it does. It will cut off uh, uh, sap flow and water and nutrient flow. Yeah, because you see it point. just kill a whole everything above where a big chunk of mistletoe is is struggling. Yep. Yeah, till till it's dying, and so if you, because from what what I understand, if you cut all the mistletoe out of the tree, you're only kind of postponing the inevitable. Is that right? I'm sorry, say that again? If, if you cut all the mistletoe out of the tree, you're just kind of postponing the inevitable. Like, once it's in there, it's going to keep spitting out more. So, at at what point is it is the proper thing to just remove it? Uh, like, well, cut I mean, back I, that I branch, you know what I mean? It, yeah, it depends on... How bad you know, the infestation is. And, and you know, the tree's value. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, not necessarily monetary value, but if it's... 
um, you know, if, if it's that big white oak that's, that's, you know, providing shade for your house and, and, you know, reducing your utility bills. Yeah. I would go up and, and, you know, routinely try to prune past it. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I will be honest here. I don't know. I've never used, you know, any sort of pesticide. I'm not really familiar with what's out there. Yeah. For mistletoe. I'm not sure what you can do about it. Um, you know, I don't know if there is a systemic pesticide that, that you might be able to use. You know, I just, that's, that's one of the area I've not used a lot of, uh, pesticides, with trees, so yeah, you know. yeah, so I, that's kind of how I am too. Something we do a lot of, honestly, here in the Northwest, at least. Um, yeah, no, it, I don't know. So if you do remove mistletoe from an Oregon white oak with like, and you use like use your silky saw or whatever, like, should you? Is that one of those situations where you should then like green soap your saw afterwards? Is it you know like I'm I'm just like I don't know that much about it, so I'm not sure if it's like a how <laughs> transmissible it is and how it it moves around and what it yeah. gets into, you know, and I, de- you know, I don't want myself or it, anyone else to like a- inadvertently infect another tree. Right. I mean, it, you know, generally speaking, I mean, any tree, uh, you know, that, that has a pathogen that you're trying to treat, you, you know, it's not a bad idea to use alcohol, mm-hmm. um, yeah. food grade, hydrogen peroxide, something like that sure. to, uh, to treat your, you know, pole pruner or whatever you're using, you know, pole saw blades, things like that. Even having that stuff in a, you know, squirt bottle is not, it's not a bad thing to have on a tree truck. It really yeah, should that's be, a good idea, yeah, should sure. be there. So when in doubt, clean yep. the saw, yep. yeah. I think is the, is but, the idea there. I don't yeah. know. I was just going to say really just kind of, you know, mechanical control is, is what I hear of most okay. arborists doing. I mean, really just getting in there and trying to prune it out. Just take you know? it out when it shows up and yeah, yep. try to stay on top uh, of it. Yeah. I've never seen a tree that was so like, heavily impregnated with mistletoe that i was like oh my god it's dying because of that mistletoe you know yeah. but i do I, I am now aware that it's like not you'll see a really thin crown like yeah that's that's going to be your first and that's i noticed that too which actually just exp- you know unfortunately just exposes the mistletoe so it makes it more right. obvious that it has it you know because yeah. like i said anything kind of past that point of that mistletoe is going to start to, you know, you'll see things like smaller leaves. Mm-hmm. Eventually it just won't leaf out because it's, of course, dead. But, you know, you'll you'll notice smaller, more sparse leaves, fewer branchlets, things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah, It it's one of those ones where I've always known it wasn't good for trees and I always removed it when, if I was, you know, even if it wasn't on the bid, if I'm up there and there's mistletoe, I just get it out. Right. But I've never really dug deep into why and how yeah, mistletoe like, works and how whatnot. How did it get up here? What is it doing? What's its motivation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, who, what do you do now? Yeah. But I don't know that I've ever seen a tree completely die from mistletoe. That's I mean, I think I'm that's pretty extreme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've seen, seen it. Yeah, I've seen them die where, you know, I don't know if there was something else going on, but mistletoe had taken over the crown to the point sure. where it was checking out. Um, but the question remains... You know, mistletoe is totally natural. It's part of the ecosystem. It, you know, there's things that benefit from the mistletoe. Mm-hmm. You know, at what point, you know, if it's your big, beautiful white oak in your front yard, get the mistletoe out and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I kind of wonder about, you know, its food resources to the other wildlife critters around it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, if it's in your backyard, get it out if you value the tree because it's not going to do good for that tree. Yeah. It it's part of the ecosystem, it's part yeah. of part of where it's just we are. Like scotch it broom, is. yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Screw you, scotch broom. Fucking scotch broom. Fucking scotch broom. Starlings, damn it! I wish Corey was here. Starlings. <laughs> I get how he feels now. Yeah. All right. 
Anybody else have any uh, pests or uh, diseases or downsides? I mean, we talked about the storm damage earlier. That's definitely one of the things. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't they don't handle that big snow weight, mm-hmm. big ice weight real well. Yeah, I mean, despite everything we've mentioned, I I think of them as a relatively disease free tree. I mean, they're not, oh yeah, you know, they're 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 you know, certainly a low maintenance tree and not not something you're gonna have to you know, be worried about. I mean, just the big thing is that hopefully the takeaway for folks is just stay out of the root zone. And so that kind of goes back to, you know, right tree, right place. Maybe don't plant a, an Oregon white oak if you're planning on making big changes to the landscape, maybe, or if you're, um, you know, some sometimes I know we plant them in the right of way, and I think the, you know, the truth will kind of bear out after a few years. Um, but that that's the one thing that does give me pause is I know that, mm. you know, we do a lot of sidewalk repairs and we do a lot of utility repairs and, and whatnot, in the, in the right of way. So, um, you know, we have to be a little bit mindful where we plant them, but otherwise, no, if you're looking for a great Northwest native tree, that's otherwise super drought tolerant, will probably, you know, weather climate change in the foreseeable future. Um, I don't think of them as a, a very pest prone tree at all. No. As a matter of fact, I recommend them and people are always like, Oh, I've just heard they're so slow growers. Yep. That's it's a like, good thing. Y- yes, they are. But if you see an Oregon white oak tap into some oh, yeah. super nutrient soil, I've seen it where it had like a foot of new growth in a year or more. I, I like, know that I've seen, uh, we planted some in some really good soil over by uh corner of 8th and Charnelton. Um, uh, Theo's Coffee right oh, outside yeah. there. And there's, a, I think, a mixed martial arts uh-huh. uh, mm-hmm. academy there. Uh, those, I've seen t- over two feet of growth usually yeah. in a year, but you know, they're also tapped into some really good soil. Yeah. Um, there were previously trees there that we, we did, uh, I think we had some thundercloud plums that were removed stump ground, but of course what's the, you know, the remainder of those stumps of course are now decomposing and of course mm. aiding in, um, Given you know, aeration some and, and yum, some nutrients. Yeah. 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 So yeah, they're, they're in a sweet spot, but yeah, they're growing like crazy. I mean, you look wow. at it and you go, wow, I've never seen an Oregon white oak do that know. before. I've seen Oregon white oaks like grow slowly. Is oh, yeah. like they don't yeah. get very like I said earlier. They're they're not like shooting up three feet in the season, but they're you. I don't know. It's like a little game for me. I'll like drive past one that I haven't seen in a year and be like, oh my god! And take the D tape out and be like, oh look at you, your four inch <laughs> deviation. Just one and a half last year, you know? Yeah. But they barely get any taller. Yep. So it's like it's almost like they're like ah, I'm gonna grow out. Then I'm gonna grow up, yeah. so that like when I do grow up, I have all this out to support that up. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unlike the elm, for instance, which is just like I'm just gonna yeah. just three like, or four feet a year. Here I go, and then they break, and yeah, which that's why I'm like, fuck yeah, Oregon white oaks are good. Trees like a white oak, which just are g- these super solid trees, when they first grow, how often do they put? tons of energy right away into developing this massive root system and then push up this canopy. Yeah. Or maybe if they're in a situation where they already have the nutrients from a tree that was there already, maybe they're like, Hey, we, we don't need that much root system. So they just go straight to canopy. That's true. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, I like, cause I've seen them make those huge gains on growth in the right situations. I should probably mention, actually I had, I hadn't thought about this, but 20 years ago when I was, uh, I used to work at a a restoration nursery, right? So we grew all sorts of uh, trees, shrubs, wetland plants. Uh, Really, it was a great place to to learn uh, native plants. But so we used to grow Oregon white oak uh, for for habitat restoration. And 
So a couple, two things that I want to mention about this, but one is that they are a tap rooter, right? And so that, yeah. um, and, and there's a misconception, you know, a, a big, like mature Oregon white oak does not have like the 60 foot deep tap root, but young trees, uh, young Oregon white oak do have a, a, a tendency to grow a tap root. And so I've seen that where the, the tap root is much longer than the actual shoot growth on a tree, you know, so it wow. might be like a, a 12 inch tall little seedling that has a 14 inch tap root or something like that. And yeah. so that's one of the things that if you're, you know, if you're, if you're planting the, and, and there's, there'll be very, very few, uh, uh, kind of secondary or tertiary roots that, that come off of that, you know, it's just going to be, it, it is like a big, big old tap root, like exactly what you can imagine when you think of a tap root. And from what I, I read about this too, and I think it goes deeper than a lot of trees. It does. It does. Like they just go, they're like, just way down. Yeah, yes, they they will go down. But you know, eventually you're going to get to a point in the soil, though, where there's just, uh, it's so deep and it's so dense that there's no oxygen, you know. So, yes, they they will have a taproot for a a time. But, again, they don't go, like, 40 feet down into the ground. No, no, no. They just don't at all. But um, Like, maybe maybe five? Yeah, yeah. I mean, something like that That is pretty pretty, reasonable. I, I think once you get past, you know, even like an eight or 10 foot depth in the soil, you're not going to see much capacity for, for rooting Probably at that point. Not, yeah. uh, but anyhow, yeah. So, so definitely if you're transplanting young white oaks, uh, you're digging them up in the wintertime, that's a good time to go ahead and just nip that tap root so that you can start that um, kind of more lateral root system. Right. So that's, that was mm-hmm. one of the things, but so we used to sell trees that were, you know, we would um, price them for their size. Right. So in Oregon white oaks, when they're young, put on very little shoot growth. But what we would, we, there was a process called budding. And so what would happen is we'd go through, we would plant acorns in these long rows. You know, you might have a three or 400 foot long row and we're just plopping them in there. They germinate, they come up and they would grow for like, let's say two years, but they would be still pretty short. You know, they, maybe they're only six inches tall after two years, but what we would do, they'd have an established root system and we would literally go through uh, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to even say this, but actually with a lawnmower and just <laughs> just mow the whole row down. Uh, and then a lot of times we could go back and, and if they were really gnarly, you know, we'd clean them up with pruners. But you, you it, it's called budding and you reduce the tree down to a, a very low bud. And so you get this uh, more established root system, mm. not a lot of top growth. You do this when the trees are, are dormant, but also starting to awaken in the spring. Right? I see. So, you know, kind of imagine pruning like an apple tree and it, in the spring and all of a sudden it's sending up all these shoots all over the place, right? That's what you want. So what would happen is we'd have these six inch tall trees. We'd mow them down at the right time of year and they would put on sometimes two feet of growth that following summer. You know, they, the only way I can uh, explain it would be like kind of giving the tree high blood pressure or something, you know, all this, <laughs> yeah. all this photosynthate that has been stored in the roots. And now, you know, spring has come, it's uh, just like fruit is, tree pruning. Yeah. yeah. yeah and yeah. boom, now you get this. It feels so dirty, but it has such good results. <laughs> <laughs> right. well, what, what would happen is you would go from this kind of like, you know, six inch little, you know, kind of super thin trunk that was kind of like wavy and, and had just grown, you know, not real straight. And then you mow it down and then all of a sudden you get these nice, really straight vertical shoots mm-hmm. and you know you would have like a little bit of a dog leg to the the trunk but it's you know you think about it i mean most you know, most trees are grafted these days it's really not much yeah. different than that it doesn't really look any different yeah. and by the time the tree grows out you'd never tell and at that point i mean we're it's so small in diameter you know we're not really worried about wood decay at that point at all right uh, and that's you know so then you would give them another growing season and now you have trees that are 
this is what they want. You know, they're easier yeah. to package. They're easier to handle. They bundle nicely. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of gives you more of a, a tree when, when the, they go to these reforestation sites, you know, you can imagine a little eight inch tall, two or three year old tree is going to get lost yeah. in a restoration yeah. site. Whereas if you have at least this now two foot tall whip that you can still offer at a reasonable price because you didn't wait 20 years for it to get that tall. Totally. Kind of being sarcastic there, well, but, but you know. For, for those purposes, it makes an awful lot of sense. Oh, yeah. absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's just, you know, one of those behind the scene <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You don't think about stuff like that. I feel like I, I want to know so much more about the nursery trade because I feel like we're so detached from them, but so much of what they know and what we know, we, we just like, we, we gotta, we gotta exchange phone numbers or something. You yeah. Know? It's just well, it's, that's another episode we need to do. I it seems agree. like ev- for every episode we do, we think of, <laughs> I remember episode. when we first started doing this, we were like, man, we're going to run out of ideas. We're going to uh, talk about pruning. <laughs> we're going to talk about removals. No, and no. then, then what are we going to talk about? You know? <laughs> and it's like every single time there's oh, so yeah. much to, yeah. you know, well, if, we, if we want to go world, that route, you know, I, mean, I mean, it's like, yeah, I was a propagator for, yeah. you know, five or six years. Uh, yeah. That's actually kind of how I started out in the tree industry, right? Was a, a propagator and a, a grower uh, at wholesale farms, uh, wholesale nurseries, and um, even working in uh, tissue culture labs, you know, where we're, I remember growing, uh, I think I mentioned this before, but growing uh, redwoods and test tubes, oh, you yeah. know, just all yeah. kinds of cool stuff. That's awesome. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting because like, as I get older, um, you know, I, I, I really miss being in the field and I'd, I'd like to be climbing a lot more. You know, I'm a supervisory job right now. I just, it's not part of my work thing anymore, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I miss being out in the field and I miss climbing. But as I, as I really get much older, I'm, you know, 40, 43 now. But, you know, even down the road, I could see myself kind of returning to nurseries because it was just so much fun. Yeah. Just so cool. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. You know. I think a lot of nursery folks that I know are are like really more farmers yep. than they are arborists. Or like oh yeah, tree not farms. Super passionate but about trees. They're super passionate about like selling plants. Well, <laughs> there there's a mix there because you can be a farmer and be an arborist. Yeah. you know, studying the I tree, mean, understanding yeah. how it grows. Right. You know, there's so much I mean, in the that. Fact well, that you it's were cool in a lab coat the... doing stuff. Yeah. Like, that's imagine some... me in a hairnet. <laughs> 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 uh, like not at Wendy's, but like <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but, but it's been, you know, really fulfilling, though, to it, to have that as part of my career. I feel like I've, you know, it's kind of like seed to snag. You know, I've, I've totally yeah. I've, I've uh, you know, mastered uh, propagation and growing first and then uh, became nice. a climber. And, and it have just, you know, it's been a constant learning thing. And, Full circle. Um, you know, all the way to creating habitat trees. And it's <clears throat> it's really been a fun journey. For nice. sure, to, to learn all that. Start, started as a seedling and went on to a climber <laughs> yeah. and then eventually made a habitat yep. snag. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Speaking yeah. of snags, I found out recently that if you want to make an oak snag, you should girdle it first or tell people, like, it's probably going to sprout out. Which yep. is another cool thing yep. about oaks is that they're just like, I want to live. So right. <laughs> uh, we did a job right next to some habitat snags you did up at like 
what 28th and oh, yeah. uh 28th and chambers just over yeah. by there bushy did those yeah and there's their oak snags that are sprouting out yeah yeah and she loves them from oh, what yeah. i understand but I, I remember seeing that little sprout come out and i'm like uh-oh but that's <laughs> yeah. not bad though no you know because oh. once again uh, you know oregon white oak if we're if we're talking about habitat snag they're not going to be a long-lived snag but if you keep them green yeah. yeah, that's going to extend the life quite a bit. Now, th- you know, obviously that involves maintenance, and you need to get in there and yeah. you know, get a you know a pole saw or something. And but now it's like a, a ladder job and, and not like a, an embryo exactly. situation. Totally, <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's funny that you saw. Yeah, that. <laughs> I did. <laughs> that was a really funny job. That that woman has um. There's like astroturf all in the backyard. Oh, yeah, I noticed that is kind of interesting. <laughs> oh. So we had to like rig every single thing. We out. live in a world of plastic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <sighs> hanging out in Thiedville. It was pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that tree. It's nice. cool that they do that too. They mm-hmm. just they just have this thing impeccable. Like, how do you photosynthesize with nothing to work? Like, you have nothing to work off of. It just the storage just units. Like, yeah. like, I got another push in me. Like, whatever, no. it's all no. down in my again under. It's all under there. Yeah, can't yeah, totally. Can't see all the reserves. One of the things that just popped into my mind too is that um, uh, Oregon white oak branches are highly prized for uh, shiitake logs. Oh, yeah. shiitake. You know, you can you can do your shiitake plugs, and I'm sure there's. You know, probably, I, I imagine you could do oyster mushrooms, and I'm sure there's all sorts of things that you could do in there, but shiitake is the first thing that comes to mind, uh, and they're like the, the just the prime. I've got some white oak yeah. shiitake logs in my backyard right now yep. that are supposed to be fruiting right now, and they're just not, I have nope. not soaked uh. them enough, so I'm going to, got to get back to soaking yeah. them, so you can, <laughs> if you, if they don't come out the first year because you haven't soaked them and taken care of them enough, you can, you know, up your game and have them come out again later, so... Yep. Time for me to up Here's my game. Next year's mushroom. Yeah, yeah. I'm hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. Um. Yeah, that was that's something that some mushroom people I know uh, definitely have contacted me for in the past. Is hey, when you get some white oak, let me know. Well, we kind of skipped off pests. Can you think of any other pests or? You know, I'm sh- I'm sure there are, but I really can't think of any yeah. that are that are a, a problem. You know, yeah, big issue kind right. of things. Th- nothing that I'd worry about. Yeah, you can sometimes you get uh, like woodpeckers on them and stuff like that, but again, that's not like a big deal. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, that reminds me. Of, uh, <laughs> my neighbor had a an Oregon white oak. Um, they totally got into the root zone. They they killed it, and he had. Um, this Mustang that he really prized and the tree was hanging over his parking spot for his Mustang and he had pileated woodpeckers out there and went out there one day and he was shooting the shooting at the pileated woodpeckers with a shotgun (laughs) trying to get them out of the tree so that they wouldn't drop branches all over his Mustang and I just thought this there's something so so severely wrong with this yeah Uh, how about we just remove the tree that way you know the pileated woodpeckers can kind of find some other other spot, that's fine. You don't need to shoot a... Wait, and it was a dead tree at that point? It was a dead tree at that point anyway. And, it's, you know, leaning over his house, I mean, it just... Just needed like, to go anyways. To go. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it takes all types, I guess. Yep. Rural Oregon. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <You gotta love laughs> <it>. Sounds about <laughs> right. <laughs> right on. Well, I think we're ready to talk about random facts. And I only got one... So I'll kick it off. 
with the champion white oak tree has a trunk psych, uh, circumference of 288 inches, height of 97 feet, canopy spread of 91 feet. That's, that's a big tree. That's a big tree. Shoot. 97 feet tall, 91 feet wide. Wow. That's a huge tree. What was that diameter one more time? Was it 288? Yep. The circumference. Uh, sorry. Yeah, circumference. And so... I'll bet there's a bigger one out 91 there. Ninety one inches. Ninety one inches. And where is this tree? Um, I think it's in Northern California. So this is just the the champion yeah, no. white oak. Wow. Of the United States. The, the National Register National Registry champion. of Champion Trees. That's seven basically seven and a half foot diameter. That's intense. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. That's a single trunk. Yeah. Road trip. Yeah. <laughs> it uh although I think there's taller ones out there. Yeah. I remember working on one that was in uh Coburg on an old farmstead. It's been removed since. Huh. But I could have sworn it was at about a hundred. I guess ninety seven's about a hundred. So yeah. right in that range. That's a that's a big tree. But now I'm curious. I'm thinking about Stewart Pond, where the champion black oak is. I I think the the champion black oak. That's just for the state. again, not a not a white oak. Right? So it's a yeah. state heritage tree, but yeah. it's it's huge. Now, didn't it have some damage in the ice storm though? So there's there's a couple up there. There's probably I would say four or five. The one that's that, so there is one. Actually, I have a photo of it on my phone right now that I took right after the the damage happened, and the the tree it. Um, it's actually really cool. It reminds me of the Arthur Clow Oak uh, in England, that it, it is naturally retrenching. So it's a, it was probably like a four-foot diameter tree that had um, so, so two trunks, again, basically right, you know, maybe five, six feet off the ground, split into two trunks. One of those tr- trunks completely failed, and that's now uh, suckered out and just, I mean, it's really shrubby. But the other tree is very tall and spindly. The other half of the tree is still very tall and spindly, but it now has received so much extra light because the the larger portion of the crown is on the ground. So all up in, so you see this kind of very sparse tree that is is easily eighty or ninety feet tall. But when you look down the trunk, there's just sprouts coming out from everywhere. So you know it, it stands to reason that in another you know hundred years from now, that tree is probably going to be huge in diameter, but not very tall. It's going to be this super squatty kind of mushroom shape mushroom shaped uh, white oak that's going to be Really amazing. Wow. Yeah, so what are, is it a Zubolt Park that has those oh, big Zubolt. white oaks? Uh, Zumwalt. Zumwalt. And the Elmacher Oak. Yeah, right? that's another. That's a white oak, right? Yeah. 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 So I'd been taking care of that oak for years for the county through the uh, friends of Zumwalt Park. Yeah. Right? So um, I've had numerous friends that have been part of that group, Daphne Sampson and John Clark and other folks that um, – uh, you know, are here in Eugene and, and volunteer for things like that quite a bit. And so I had been going there for years, uh, pruning some of the deadwood out of it during the summertime, doing crown inspections. Um, and then once it failed, uh, I actually have, oh, I came across it not too long ago, but so John Clark is a colleague of mine. He's a uh, person that lives in Venita. Uh, Andrew, is a, that's your old neighbor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know him well. And so he and I did a canopy 
because he's part of Friends of Zumwalt Park, we did a canopy inspection on that tree, and I got him up into the tree. Oh, cool. And so I have <laughs> all this video of me and John up in the tree, and we're checking it out. And really, it's a, it's a canopy uh, inspection. So we're kind of doing a detailed video thing uh, that we eventually passed on to the, the county who owns that property. And, of course, the tree has now failed. Yeah. Oh. And you've worked on it post-failure. I, uh, I wasn't or, actually in oh, the day were, that yep. it was worked on, but I know it well because uh, – when I lived out there, you know, when I was John's neighbor, the reason he's part of it is because he lives down the street. And exactly. So that was where I'd take Rue for a walk because there's a oh, nice, yeah. like, path to walk oh, into the park. And it's a big park. And everybody runs their dogs in the neighborhood. That's like the dog park. And so back when Rue, who everybody hears kind of rattle around on the podcast every now and then, uh, <laughs> back when she was younger, she used to go, you know, she's part Chihuahua, part Greyhound. And she would go out there and they'd always mess with the big dogs because she was, she's so little, like this little fast thing oh, and yeah. she can turn on a dime. So she'd start nipping at big dogs and get a bunch of them chasing her. And then she'd just go at full speed and then just turn on a dime and just watch them all fall and then just run circles around them and then take <laughs> off. <laughs> like, it was her game. You know? oh, that's great. Yeah, so short we, little legs, man. Oh yeah, and she, she has a stride like a greyhound, where she's fully off the ground when she's at full speed. She looks like a little mini greyhound run, and it's hilarious. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, I've I've fond memories of those those because there's probably what four or five yeah. big white there's oaks big out ones. there, and it just yeah, I love that park. They were really devastated. So when the the big one, the the heritage tree, the the elmock, the actual elmocker oak. Uh, so for folks that, that have never seen that or don't know, it was the most picturesque uh, white oak, just a, a beautiful, immaculate crown, very rounded, kind of, again, very mushroom-shaped. Well, 90% of the crown is now gone. Yeah. I mean, it is basically the trunk and just mm. the pieces of scaffold branch branches that are left. But, you know, I always tell folks, I mean, they were – I met with them out there initially, and, I mean, people were upset. I mean, they're in tears looking at this tree, and they're like, what do we do? And I, I just tell folks, you know, this is the next phase of this tree's life. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and yeah, I mean, we're never going to have that again, but um, there are other oaks out there like that. This one now has a tremendous amount of character, and it's coming back with gusto. I mean, it you know, it's – it is covered in sprouts. I mean, oh, just, that hydraulics it, probably it, of the oh, root system is just well, pushing growth out every time. year. I yeah, mean, it's, it's, it's as dense as the, the the grass in the field around it. The the sprouts, the new sprouts, are as dense as the grass in the field that it's growing in. It's wow. it's that healthy, and it's going to come back with a vengeance. And it is going to be that sleepy hollow and a gnarly tree that has decay and it has, you know, it's going to, you know, from, from here on out, it's going to grow branches and they're going to break apart because it's all just decaying, but it's going to be a, an amazing tree. And it, you know, that's just, it, we all enter different phases of our life. That's, that's just how it, yeah. how it goes. And I, I'm just telling folks, you know, embrace this. It's going to be an excellent habitat tree. It's going to have a, a super unique form. Uh, and it probably has another few hundred years left in it. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Anybody else have any cool uh, white oak facts or random facts to, to share? I think I spent all my random facts <laughs> on yeah. I, I only on had the, the one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've, it's all I know. Yeah. Final thoughts. Yeah. What, what's your final thoughts, Becca? Well, I, like I said, these are some of my favorite trees. Um. And I definitely want to acknowledge the Kalapuya and 
the, you know, just note that this is their, where we are here as we're recording this, like their land. And it used to look, it used to have a lot more reverence for this tree that we're talking about because they do have that reverence. And um, so, yeah, I just wanted to bring that forth. And also I wanted to... Um, say how much I like bugs and how great this has been talking with you guys about bugs and mushrooms and this cool tree. It's really neat. I'm very passionate about them. They're badass. And uh, I know I started off this whole thing by saying that, like, my first day on the job that I'm at that I love so much, uh, we went to Cable in Oregon White Oak and ended up not doing it. <laughs> the, reason, <laughs> the reason we ended up not doing it um, was because it was so... It seemed, it seemed like it was so. It's kind of like back to what Eric was just saying. It was, it was on its way out, and it would, it just didn't feel right to yeah. to charge somebody that money to do that to a tree that was ultimately like rotting at the base. And I wonder uh, after this conversation if it didn't have some or malaria complication or something like that. Cause it was, I mean, from the time that my boss did the estimate to when we went out there, which was like less than a month, it had taken a turn. Oh boy. For, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, so it's interesting. So yeah, just definitely pay attention to them and appreciate them and love them like the wonderful beings that they are. And those are my final thoughts. Thanks for having <laughs> me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I would say that um, if you live on the West coast and you don't know what an Oregon white Oak is, learn it. Uh, if you have a really good spot for one, plant one. Uh, and if you do have a really nice one, stay out of the root zone. Yeah. Hey, that sums it up pretty nice right there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, kind of, it's kind of what struck you struck me of, you know, I've always loved the Oregon white Oak because, you know, it's just something I've always worked in and, you know, doing tree work in Eugene, you're going to climb a million Oregon white Oaks and get very comfortable with them and understand how to work them and all that stuff. But then looking into this, looking at the history and, you know, how they really dominated this landscape as a way to provide food and, you know, everything they provided. And then you start thinking about the gall wasps and the mistletoe and the birds and all the ways that, you know, it's connected to the world around us is just, you know, it's so it just is a reminder of trees are so much more than trees. You know, it's just really if when you get to know trees, you're just getting to know kind of an access into the world around you because it's all so connected. Yeah. And and so it it was a, uh, yeah, I just really enjoyed getting to know an old friend even better, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So with that, I'll say stay safe and let's go make some white oak donuts. (laughs) 